Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Guma, and joining me to unpack your stock-related questions this evening are David Shapiro from Sasfin Securities and Wayne McCurry from FNB Wealth and Investments. Be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much for your time, gents. I've been seeing, I have been on leave uh, throughout the week, but I've been seeing uh, lots of headlines that something is breaking in the financial markets. Um, but I mean, looking at the U.S. stock markets today, it seems that um, whatever was breaking, uh, maybe is being mended or maybe investors are seeing kind of uh, more optimism ahead. Uh, Wayne, I want to start off with you. Um, I don't know. What do you make of what's happening in the markets right now, particularly the fact that the JSC is still in the red, U.S. markets have come back with a rebound, and also the fact that we're getting kind of contradicting data out of the U.S. labor market? Yes. <laughs> what else can I add to that? <laughs> this is very typical. This is very typical I think of some sort of bottoming out or bottom phase of this particular down cycle in the market. And of course, all of this, it's the same old story. All of this mm. relates to interest rates, inflation, long bond yields. There has been a major correction, obviously, in the long bond yield. I mean, the US 30 year went through 5%. It's pulled back a little bit now, but it's gone through 5%. And quite frankly, this is a normalization from what were abnormally low uh, long bonds in, in, in the USA, in Europe, in the UK, on the back of very, very low inflation that persisted, I suppose, since the global financial crisis. Now, it's overreacted on the upside, mm. but it has now normalized. So it will come down again, go to, I don't know, two and a half, three, three and a half percent, not at five percent. So you will see some sort of pullback over the next year or two in that long bond yield. But... With the long bonds at five, the equity market will never do well. It will always be under some sort of pressure. And the shares that will be under pressure are more the growth shares because, you know, the, the valuations where we're relatively high on those, on those ones in a very low bond yield environment. Yeah. But, of course, you will always get contradictory data at the sort of change of any cycle. One day the inflation outlook will look good and the next day it will look bad and the jobs data looks bad yesterday. Now the latest job data looks good and last week's inflation number looks good, but the previous one looked bad. You know, we still got to wait for true direction in in, in global interest rates. Yeah. And I, I think they're on their way down. And But right now we don't really know. And as the Fed said, which really put the skids under the market, mm. that there's one more rate increase coming before the end of the year and only two cuts next year. So we're in the same position we've been in now for a, quite a long time, in fact. Yeah. And I mean, with that, um, you know, all this contradicting data and also this overreaction in the U.S. bond market, David, can we then expect October to be another volatile month for stocks? I don't think so. Um, I think what Wayne said is the right kind of view. I think, I think we've seen peak fear. Okay. You know, you might have a few more points, you might have a day or two, but I, I don't know, for the first time, I'm feeling quite optimistic about uh, you know, that things, the next move is going to be down. 
and then and it's going to be pretty shortly because they can't keep pushing rates or the fed can't keep pushing like this without breaking the u.s economy you just feel that you know you go too far you do immense damage that can't be uh can't be fixed so i you know wayne says rates are going to be down from five to two and a half next year if that happens you're going to have a equity market of gigantic proportions and i think that you you should start getting ready for that you know this is it's, it's hard to predict the exact day you know it's going to happen tomorrow or the next week but you can feel that this market is very oversold and uh you know it's going to move the other way so i'm 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 in that camp you know i'm i'm starting to look for opportunities and say okay where should we be what should i be looking at uh so on so i'm i'm more a buyer at the stage than a seller Ah, all right. I hear your point on that. Uh, we're talking about selling. There's a question on MTN and Vodacom. Um, do your wise men have any insight uh, into what is driving Vodacom and MTN further and further down? I cannot buy more as I already hold these at a price around 10% over the current, but I'm holding in anticipation of recovery. Um, I know with MTN, usually the narrative is because of the uh, uncertainty in terms of uh, foreign exchange losses when it comes to Nigeria and some of the countries that they operate in in, in Africa. Wayne, um, your sentiment on MTN, but also Vodacom, the fact that it's also on a downward trend. Well, look, MTN is really, really interesting. In fact, it's. Uh, I just had a, 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 an update from an analyst on MTN today. And if you do what's called a sum of the parts evaluation, in other words, you look at the underlying businesses and put some sort of valuation on them, MTN looks very, very cheap. I mean, their Nigerian businesses in the current share price is probably valued at one third of its potential value. But that's the key to all of this. It's potential value. You never know what's going to happen in Nigeria to the currency, to the government, to the legislatory environment, to a whole range of things that could possibly go wrong in Nigeria. Of course, if it goes right, I mean, the share price can double. Hmm. But there is massive uncertainty here. I certainly wouldn't sell at these prices, but the uncertainty, unfortunately, of Nigeria is always going to you know, weigh quite heavily on MTN, despite the fact that the share does actually, you know, the share is hugely undervalued, but maybe it's undervalued for a very good reason. Now, Vodacom is a very different kettle. You know, you're getting a good dividend yield here at 6.5% dividend yield. Uh, the share price has come under, you know, some pressure, Not maybe not quite as much as what MTN has. A Vodacom, I would buy at this price. I think it's reasonable value. It's not a terribly exciting company, mm. but you get a good dividend yield and you're buying it at a reasonable valuation level, I would think. Yeah, it's your steady eddy. Uh, David, uh, yes. you were saying just now that you are a buyer. Would you be buying any of these? Would you be seeing this uh, pressure as an opportunity either for both of them or either one of them? You know, with MTN, where's it around about 100 at the moment? Mm. I mean, that's the lowest it's been. If you can draw a line, I don't know how far you're going to go back, but they're not exciting companies anymore. They've gone X growth. You know, we've seen the best growth in these businesses. And the challenge now is to turn all those customers and 
start giving them other products or making, you know, and as Wayne keeps saying, we've heard fintech, fintech, you know, it's coming out of his ears already. So everybody's doing fintech, fintech. Uh, so I think we they need to do something that's going to, and globally, the companies are not doing it. These are not uh, desirable businesses anymore. Mm. So I think they, they end up being utilities. And as Wayne said, you're going to get nice growth, you're going to get nice dividend out of Vodacom. That's about the best that you're going to do, you know, get a nice 6% dividend deal, be content with that. But I think the growth phase of these businesses is gone. Hmm, very interesting take on that. Well, uh, talk about growth. Do you see any kind of growth potential for multi-choice? Um, is multi-choice a long-term buy at current levels, Wayne? Look, I'm very worried about multi-choice, to be honest. Uh, mm. There is so much competition in their, in their field. You need big pockets to buy the content. You need big pockets to pay for the sport. I mean, it has got, you know, multi-choice has got two big advantages. Number one, they've got the stranglehold on sport just about, the stranglehold. But, of course, streaming is biting into that market share. The other big asset they've got is local content. So the Netflix and all the other big overseas streaming services, they don't do local content nearly as well as multi-choice. So that is a major, major advantage they've got. But unfortunately, I think it's cancelled out by the intense competition that they've got. I mean, I've still got my DSTV and I pay the monthly subscription, but I watch it less and less. In fact, you know, in, in the last three, four years, I've probably gone from 100% DSTV watching to maybe 10% DSTV watching. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah um, mm-hmm. lots of competition. Wayne says that they need very, very deep pockets. At, mm. Is there no way that they could get to that point? where? At, but even if they did get big pockets, do you think that they'd actually be able to thrive in this kind of environment, David? No, it's difficult. You know, you've got to keep producing local content and it's got to be fresh. You've got to refresh it all the time. You know, even with sports, um, I'm a big football watcher. I watch, but you, I only watch on Saturday or Sunday, whatever. You know, you don't watch during the week. Yeah. You know, I don't want to watch replays you know, or, <laughs> or, or interviews. You know, cause you've, got, you've got to get content 24 hours a day. So yeah. how, how are soccer games, what, two hours, one and a half now? They've, now that they've extended the game, you know, every time you waste time, they add another few minutes. So, but, I mean, that's it. Yeah. But, but Wayne, you know, Wayne's right. He very seldom watches. So... Um, it's not, it's not an easy business. We loved it when it first came out, streaming, you know, Netflix, Disney. Mm. Uh-uh. I think uh, it's it's once again very very high cost. And remember, multi choice has got to pay dollar content. Hey? Many mm. many of the much of the stuff it brings in is in a foreign currency. So, so you've so, got that so, added uh, worry. Uh, yeah. So none of you guys would touch it. Very negative point. tonight. I'm so optimistic. <laughs> Maybe we say, guys, is <laughs> the other way. <laughs> well, um, we're talking about businesses that are. It's a question. Get, get it is a question. <laughs> it's a question you're taking. <laughs> and on to more uh, complicated <laughs> matters, pick and pay. Um, I think it's an indictment yeah. uh, on the whole management team of pick and pay from middle to top management. 
that uh, retired Sean Summers is called back to resuscitate the group. As Wayne always says, one person does not make a company succeed, but a team. So unless Sean replaces the lot of them and poaches the checkers team, I don't see any change. Uh, Wayne, what would you have hmm. to say about that? Look, I've listened to a few interviews now that Sean has given, and he's not, his intention is not to change the top management and get new people in from in from outside as far as i understand mm. he's going to change the company culture change the ethos go back to the customer and you know as he said a few times now he wants people to drive to work faster than what they drive home from work oh yeah he wants <laughs> people to get keen on working <laughs> but this is a this is a big job so so what sean's got to do is put the correct people in the correct place and motivate them and then leave the turnaround to them because this turnaround's a 10 15 year story it's not a two-year story mm. and sean you know from what i understand is only going to be there two three years yeah so that's his job but i mean this is this is it's maybe not as big as turning around transnet and and, and eskom but it is a big job um i mean if you're talking about two years david is that not too short of a time because you know, peter boone came in and was there for two and a half years but the business actually got worse well look sean's 70 but i mean he's a he's a strong and young 70 so he can still go on mm. you know he can still keep <laughs> going on it depends on him yeah. I, I like him and i think he's winning the pr war i think he's captivating people out there you know as wayne said I think Wayne's spot on on what he wants to do. Mm. He wants to get the passion back into the business and, and the passion back into the stores, you know. And, I, you know, it's not that difficult to change a store. you just got to put the right things in front of the right people, get them back there. And I think he can do it. You know, for the, uh, he's, he's, he doesn't make excuses for, for what's happened to pick and pay, but I think a lot of it is, is, is around that kind of passion, you know, as Wayne yeah. said, he wants it to go faster to work than, <laughs> than, uh, you know, than they drive home. So I, I, I'd like to watch that space. You know, it's not going to be overnight. It's going to take a long time. And I think he's got to build his team up and he's got to get them knowing what they have to do. Well, I mean, that's so, the thing, because is, um, is it a people problem? Because I, I understand that a lot of people have come out to say that pick and pay lost is, its way in terms of that customer experience. Uh, yeah. Is it a people problem and not a, a strategy it's building problem? Up, yeah, it's building up the trust with the suppliers as well. Mm. It's not only that. You know, you've got to rebuild those kind of connections. So I'm not a retailer. I don't understand it, but Sean certainly does. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's going to be the importance. We've got to give him a chance. You know, yeah. I'm not I'm, – uh, I, I, I just like the approach. It's a fresh approach, and it's an approach with a lot of energy. Mm, all right. Um, another question here on City Lodge, another long one. Uh, City Lodge uh, hotel share price is a fraction of pre-2019. Uh, it has been said that the share price today is not comparable uh, to the pre-rights issue time. I would like to ask the panel how they perceive this. The rights issue offered 13 shares for every existing one. Rights issues do not need to lead to share price reduction per se. Did this decrease um, share prices uh, due to dilution and oversupply? But why is it not uh, comparable to the past? Wayne. Look, 
when you do a rights issue, you obviously get in more capital. Now, if that capital is not employed over time at the same return as your current capital, you get a diminution in earnings per share. And obviously, in the interim time period, they don't, you know, in a one or two year time period, companies don't normally apply that capital that effectively. They normally pay back debt, which is normally a lower yielding type of return. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, and then of course, the actual, I'm talking about the earnings now, the actual share price, you know, there is a dilution when you do a rights issue. There's more shares in issue. Yeah. Um, just the second part of that, was the historical share price not adjusted to show its new diluted values. For example, in July 2020, before the rights issue, its price was stated at 17 Rand, yet now, post rights issue, it is stated to have been a 3 Rand 30 in July 2020. David, this I, is uh, all very technical for me. No, I, I, it, I, this wasn't a, this was a rights issue. Yes. Yes. So it doesn't so affect There's no restating. There's no restating. You know, yeah. This is not a. Capitalization. So all they did was issue more shares at the same price. That's all. So that dilutes that just means there are more shares in issue, but mm. you've got more capital against that. So I you know, so not at all. Uh, the the share price came down because of the collapse that we saw with COVID, the complete yeah closing of that and it hasn't quite recovered to where it was at those levels ah. so i don't you don't have to get too technically involved uh not at all you know it's uh, a right so, so be careful with rights issue they they just more shares at the same price kind of thing ah. or at of course price, if a company if the company applies that capital very productively mm. you know it can enhance the value of the share can go up but normally that takes a little bit of time before that happens okay all right, I hear you. Um, I want to come to you, David. I think if I remember correctly, you have picked Karoo as one of your stock picks. Me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> Maybe not you. <laughs> I'm confusing you for some. <laughs> um, please assist. I watch it. I watch it every day, go okay. up and down and up okay. and down. Okay. okay, then I'll stick with you. Uh, Karoo. Uh, uh, yeah. May the panel kindly assess Karoo at the best price currently, or should I wait to purchase at 300? David. I, from the time that it's come on, I mean, it's a company with big plans, and it's a company about which people talk or analysts talk very positively. Mm. So um, it's, I can't fault that. They come out with very good results. The numbers are good, they're increasing their customer base. Uh, they went offshore. They they traded. They listed on Nasdaq, but they're supposedly expanding into Singapore. But nothing dramatic has happened since the listing, you know. And that's why I watch with keenness every day. In fact, I think today it was, you know, these are shares that go up five percent one day and then down five percent the next day and up five percent. Yeah, it's down six percent. Yeah. Is it today? Yeah, mm. but they haven't quite moved out of that range. And I'm still waiting for the big thing to happen. And this is not a, I'm not negative on it. I just watch, you know, uh, say, okay, when's it going to happen? Why, with yeah. all this positive news, has it not broken out of that tight, tight range, you know, which is almost in a down, kind of tending to drift downwards rather than upwards? 
Yeah, this is very interesting that what you're saying, David, that it tends to make these these big moves, whether it's up, whether it's down. Um, Wayne, any thoughts on Karoo? And also, because yeah. at this point, it's at 393. If you want to go in, would you wait for it to get to 300? Look, I don't know the ultimate price. I don't think I would buy it. Uh, maybe I would because we, you know, as David said, it's trading in a range now between, you know, 400 and 450 and every time it goes below the 400 it picks up again to the yeah. 450 then it falls again but this is not a small company it's a 13 billion market cap company but it's a very very small trader and which is not many shares that actually trade on this company and obviously then relatively small volumes you get this five and six percent a day price movement as david's talking about i do agree with david that when you look at the results, you know, it looks like a good business. Mm-hmm. They're growing their subscribers. They've got a good product. They're expanding overseas. But, yeah, the share price just doesn't seem to do anything and to reflect that. Yeah. Um, talking about interesting share price movements, uh, there's a question here on the cement producers, PPC and Sapaku. Um, they're resilient in this market sell-off. Is this a signal that construction could be turning? David, is that not too big of a call? Ah, I don't think it's there yet. You know, yeah. even even if you even if you analyze some of the construction companies, most of them are making their money outside of South Africa. But we still haven't seen. There, there might be private, uh, you know, uh, private investment, but we haven't seen any major infrastructure project from government yet. I say yet. We're all waiting, yeah. and it's very tough on uh, on companies like PPC. You know. Uh, particularly uh, PPC. I think Roland is, uh, I can't remember his surname. In fact, I, I saw him walking this morning. You know, very, very serious man. But uh, I've also seen I, him I, walking, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, you know, it's been tough on him because there's been no help from government at all. And you can't make money selling bags of cement, you know, in in cash build or something like this. You need you need much bigger projects to really get the best out of factory out of your factories. In other words, your capital uh, utilization. Yeah. So it's it's been tough, and and you know, as I say, I don't think we've seen the construction sector really brimming uh, yet. You yeah. know, it's not going to brim yet. Uh, Wayne, uh, quickly, would you be walking in and out with intention like Roland into the construction sector or not? Look, there will be some recovery in the construction sector as interest rates fall and a little bit more activity. Obviously, there's a massive amount of money that's going into renewables, but I don't know how much cement you use for that, you know, electricity provision, I don't know how much cement you use for that. You know, the government's got no big money to spend on infrastructure. They, they just haven't got the cash. We'll have to wait for a commodity boom to come for them to get the, mm. the, the actual cash again. So, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. take it. And I, I'm still amazed that Sapaku came into South Africa and built yeah. this big infrastructure in an already oversupplied market. Uh, all right, Jen, so let's get to your stock picks 30 seconds uh, each. Uh, David, what are you walking into today? I'm, I'm a company that I, an ETF that I've been buying, Global Lithium and Battery ETF. It was hammered. It's been hammered mainly because of the um, the lithium prices fallen. But they've got some lovely companies in there, and I think this is a company that's going to turn around. They've got a big holding of Tesla in it, Albemarle, what else, Rivian. 
BYD, which is Build Your Dream. That's a Chinese company. And I think this is a business also ready for turnaround. So uh, cheap price at the moment. I like Global Lithium and Battery ETF. I am talking my book because I own them. I mean, ah. I own their full clients. But I just think, you know, a lot of companies are reaching a price where it's time to start looking at them again. Uh, all right. On your side, Wayne, what are you nibbling on today? Look, I'm, I'm going with this theme I've spoken about a few times over the last couple of months, and that's SA tourism and travel. Mm. When you look at the data, the number of foreigners coming in here, the number of trips South Africans are doing, you go anywhere in an aeroplane, it's full. You go into a hotel, it's full. So I'm going to go for ZEDA, Z-E-D-A. Uh, you know, this thing, this thing is running very, very high uh, utilization ratios in a sort of 70, 73, 74% utilization ratios, which is fantastic for a car hire business. So one part of our economy that is, in fact, really strong at the moment. And this is very, very low share rating. I mean, the, the, the price earnings ratio is a fraction of what the market is and they're in a bit of a boom time. So I'll go for Zeta. Ah, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time, gents. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, to the viewers, uh, the questions that we did not get to today, I am coming back tomorrow uh, for another session of Stockwatch. That's it for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guest, David Shapiro from Sassman Securities and Wayne McCurry from FNB Wealth and Investments. Up next, the close. Stay with us. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.